If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love to work out and do yoga. With that, though, comes sore muscles and some aches and pains. That's why I'm excited to partner with Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA, is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, and it's also great for sleep and anxiety. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. Tanasi is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Did you know that 97% of women don't get enough vitamin D from their diet? Yes, facts. That's where today's partner, Ritual, comes in. Spring in Chicago can be cold and cloudy, and I haven't seen the sun for a few weeks. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. It's a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking your multis actually enjoyable. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Visit ritual.com slash sober mom for 25% off. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. I hope that you are just cozied up with your families and enjoying the magic of today. I wanted to take a look back today at the best of the Sober Mom Life podcast in 2023. And man, listening to this episode, it just makes me so grateful that I get to do this and that I call this a job because this does not feel like a job. I'm so thankful for you and your support of the podcast right from the beginning. When you listen to it, when you share it, when you rate and review it, uh, when you follow it, when you do all of the things, when you send me messages saying that a certain episode touched you or changed the way you thought about something or just helped you along this you know, wild journey. I just can't tell you how much that means to me. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this best of episode. I love how you kind of present three women and you say there it's a mix of all of the clients that you see and the the themes that you see in your practice. And one of the women is Brianna. And I think... I think the moms listening to this will really see themselves in her story. You know, she's gone two years without alcohol. She's been pregnant. She's breastfed without alcohol. And so she has been able to stop drinking alcohol. Yeah. She realizes, though, that life could be better without alcohol. And so her kind of struggle is staying stopped. Yeah. And so she's like, why can I stop 
sometimes for two and a half years. And then now when I want to stop, I can't. And does that point to the fact that I don't need to? Yes. That's a very common, very tricky thing I think that can happen where we can feel like, well, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of this. Mm -hmm. And if I just relaxed, you know, it would be fine and things like that. And to me, that's where, I mean, the conversation is you deserve to live the life that you want to live without being in this struggle just because it feels harder in different moments because you want it more doesn't mean it's not possible and doesn't mean like you can stop drinking for a long period of time. And that doesn't mean though that it's not negatively impacting your life. And I think that's the really important thing. And that's where I came up with the term also of like disordered drinking, because I think it really speaks to there, there can be different periods in our life where we go through different things and our drinking may be more disordered and our drinking may be more like controlled, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still question it, right? Just mm-hmm. because we can go through periods in our life with our partner where we have a stronger relationship or a less strong relationship, but it doesn't mean that we should stop inquiring about what could be better or what we want or setting boundaries or whatever just because we've had times where it wasn't a struggle. I mean, it is so interesting, the movement towards, especially on social media, of I drink to deal with my kids. And as a child of an alcoholic, I find it almost offensive. Yes. I mean, I think my parents drank because they had a disease. They were very sick. Nothing to do with me. But it's still... But yeah. it affects your kids. Like It you affects can, your and, kids. Yeah. yeah, my dad had had that. I don't even know. It's, it is funny when you look back at your childhood and you're like, wait, was he an alcoholic? Because mm-hmm. that wasn't a word that we used. Like that wasn't – but it's like, oh, dad definitely like drank too much and I felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. So this is not a thing that is going to help you in motherhood. No, no, not at all. It's a, it's no, a thing no. that's going to – and if it helped motherhood – I'd be like, yeah, like moms need help. Great. Do it. But not only does it not help motherhood, it makes kids feel unsafe. And like it makes motherhood so much harder. So, I mean, that's the thing. It actually does make it harder. I kind of, I've compared it before because people ask me if I can write when I drink, you know, because there's like like so many, like Hemingway was always drunk. I know. Or like Bukowski and like even like Carrie Bradshaw. You know what I mean? Like I'm the, like, yeah. I can't write shit when I drink. Like yeah. it is an uphill battle if I had yeah. to write something. But also I can't parent. I can survive parenting when I'm drinking. Right. I can get right. through it. But yes. like I'm not a better parent when I've had a few glasses of wine. And I certainly I can't function as a parent hungover. No, it's hell on earth. Special, it's a special kind of hell. It's really a yes, special kind of hell, which I like, which I wish we saw more of on the Instagram because we see I people mean, pouring a whole yeah, bottle of wine. And I'm like, what's yeah. going to happen to you when you wake yes. up? Yeah. Can we please like fast forward that tape? And yeah. like, I want to see you even at like bedtime with your kids. I want to see you once you put your kids to sleep. Yeah. And I want to see you the next morning. We're taught it as a pyramid and it's like where our job is to work our way to the top. And so the common vernacular or the common approach that we get is this. So if we think of Groundhog Day drinking at the bottom yeah. where it's just, I just wake up and it's Groundhog Day, like the 1993 Bill Murray movie, right? So good. Where it's like, I'm reliving it. Yeah. And what we get told is, well, you just take a break like dry January or sober October, whole 30, whatever. And I did all of those. So this is a lot about my own story too. Yeah. So we get told if you just take a break, then it'll change and you'll have these clear mornings and you're just going to feel so wonderful and it'll be so great. It'll be like, you practically never want to drink again. Right. Which is just a fallacy. (laughs) Totally. But it does work for some people. So we get in our heads about it, right? So what happens is it, we get through this 30, 60, 90, whatever day challenge kind of white knuckling. Mm -hmm. And so I actually call this stage on the cycle of shame, white knuckling avoider. Like this is where we, we may not be drinking, but it is occupying so much brain space. Oh, totally. That's what my dream is. Because we're thinking about drinking, we're thinking about not drinking, (laughs) like thinking about how much many more days till we don't drink, even thinking about how good we feel not drinking. Like, but the idea of drinking or not drinking is just take up, you know, 
800% of our brain power. Right. And then in this lie, we get told after that, you bump up and you start to add it back in. But now it's like you magically know how to be this moderate drinker. Oh. And I break moderation into these two phases too, where we've got rule creating moderators, which is where, so for me, this looked like, well, I'll have water in between drinks or I'll only drink on weekends or I'll only drink at restaurants or I'll only drink at home. Like any rule you can come up with. Like only beer, no hard liquor. No, only white wine because red wine is obviously the problem. Only organic wine. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Those are the rule creating moderators, but it's because again, we've been told you need to be able to add it back in. And my huge soapbox with that is that moderate drinkers don't actually moderate their drinking. Ugh, no, they are impossible. drinking a moderate amount, but they're not you they're not expending this brain power to moderate the drinking. You talk about your inner knowing and for most of us we don't know and we haven't heard that. We haven't felt our gut and responded to it and even known what it's saying probably our entire adult life if we've been drinking right it's like learning a new language it's like okay what do I need right now if I normally grab a glass of wine as soon as I come in the door from work when I'm going to cook dinner I'm not going to do that but what was making me do that Mm -hmm. I wanted to decompress anxiety was high after the day I now have you know bedtime staring down at me and trying to put my kids to sleep and that can be stressful. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I needed an escape. Now, what does that mean? Now, what do I do? Like, what do I, you know, I, I think so many women get caught up in the witching hour. Yes. And it's just so understandable because that's when we're at our lowest, you know? So true. It's the hardest part of the day. I yes. talk a lot about the witching hours in my book because it was like the wine was what got me through it. You know, I don't really love cooking. And like you said, putting the kids to bed is, Ugh. would take a really long time. You guys, like every day, every day by like six o'clock, I'm like, oh no, here it comes. Like I got to <laughs> gear up for it. My kids are eight, five and three. And it's, I'm like, I'm just looking down the barrel of this like um, hours per long process, you know? And I'm like, can I just like curl up and watch bad TV? And we are taught to like fill our buckets first. And so we give, give, give all day long at work or wherever, you know? And so by the time the witching hours show up, our bucket is like on E. Totally. And we wonder why we're so exhausted. And we just have not, even if it's like five minutes of just pulling the car over and taking some deep breaths and putting your hand on your heart and being like, yes, I am enough. I have done enough. I'm okay. You know, and just really reconnecting with yourself. I'm an even better mom now than I could have imagined because I had never been a sober mom before. And I have so much more patience and like just the other night, my kids were um, like forgot about some homework and they were um, struck. I was the only one home with them and they had to do this like Hebrew homework and like Jewish studies homework. And I had no idea how to help them with it. And they were crying and, and oh, I was like, yeah. okay, everyone, it's okay. Like just calm down, deep breaths. And I figured out how to do it. You know, I was Googling and search it and whatever. And I was like, yeah, I was so it was such a victory for me because I never would have had those patients or been able to yes. keep my emotions in check and just like handle it when I was drinking. Yes. I would have been like, whatever, who cares? Just tell the teacher you can figure it out. Or I would have, you know, been yelling at them to stop crying or, and I was like, wow, th- it's those moments that are a bigger win for me than anything else, you know, because that's what shows me yes. what a different person I am. And I'm not trying. It just, it's who I am now. You've already post quite often about mommy wine culture, which is obviously a huge issue. Oh, yeah. And recently you said something about how influencers are brands and need to be very aware of this, which I 100% agree with. But what I will argue on the other end is as an influencer and as somebody who tries to be mindful of what I'm posting, I had no idea, no idea how detrimental that kind of content was when I was posting it. Totally. And you have to, you can't know. It's one of those things like until you have kids, you don't know until you know, until you stop drinking, you don't know until you know. 
I think that's true. I mean, I posted a Kettle One Botanicals. Remember when Kettle One got really girly and feminine and good for us because it had flowers on the bottle? I do. I loved that branding. Yeah, right. I posted that in like 2017, 2018. And uh, I don't drink, I didn't drink vodka I, when I was drinking. And so like I posted it and I, you know, poured it down the drain because I don't drink vodka. And that was like, you know, in my newish monetizing the the blog kind of thing where I was like, yeah, I'll take whatever. It's not the case anymore. But when I remembered that, I was like, oh, wait, of course, the alcohol is an extension of the marketing of influencers and mom influencers and brands. Like, of course, like, of course, Molly Sims isn't drinking wine in her coffee cup, pretending it's tea during the day. Of course she's not. But people love it and laugh at it. So she keeps doing that. I could have tricked myself out of a a lot of questions, justified, you know, used examples of where that wasn't true. But with the am I free question when it came to alcohol, there was no evading that. I was just not free. It owned me. It owned my attention. It owned my plans. It owned the people I hung out with. It owned everything, people, places, things. And I couldn't escape that. And our attention is the most valuable thing we have. So one thing people can ask is, is this owning my attention even a little more than I want it to? Right. And I think that it's understandable if it is. I mean, especially Mm as moms, especially the pandemic, pandemic response, everything that we've gone through, like we need help and we've been taught that this is going to help. And so, of course, of course it is, right? It's not anyone's fault. I mean, it is the most everywhere accessible, lauded, you know, beloved thing, expected, accepted, all of that, of course. Yeah. And and look, it works too. I mean, it's a powerful drug. It works until it it doesn't, but it, it still works really well. Of course, if it didn't, we we wouldn't be here. It is very powerful. Right. That's the that's the piece too. It's like, it's not just a question of like, okay, let's take alcohol away and that's it. Like, no, it was providing you something. It yeah. was providing me something. And that's when you talk about telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that resonates so much with me because it it's those times when you just burn the whole shit down and you say, what is this doing for me? Because it's doing something. Yes, mm-hmm. we know the bad and we know all of that and we're taught, yeah, okay, we know it's bad. But what is it providing? Yeah, it was important for me to look at that too. Eating disorders ultimately, just like alcohol use disorders, aren't usually about the alcohol. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's stuff, there's stuff underneath. Mm-hmm. And that was the same thing where, yes, it started as like, I need to lose weight. But it became something so different, just like alcohol starts as like, I need to de-stress. I need to like relax. And then it's like this whole other thing that it turns into because you realize unconsciously, I guess, that it's a good, good coping mechanism. Right. We're using it to cope. Right. Yeah. And so whether or not you're using like controlling food to cope, eating food to cope, drinking alcohol to cope, like it's all right. It's all the ways that we're teaching ourselves and our minds and our bodies how to cope. Yeah. And I think the problem is that it works for a while, right? Like it 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 works for a little bit until then yeah. it doesn't. And then you're like, holy shit, this is like out of, now it's really out of my control. How do we break up with a friend? Oh gosh, isn't this so hard? It's so hard. And I think in sobriety, a lot of times... We realized that the relationship we thought we had was really just alcohol. And we just liked together because we both drank a lot. And I didn't feel bad about my drinking because you were drinking as much. And hey, look at us. But then when we remove the alcohol, it's like, oh, wait, I kind of can't stand you. Or I kind of don't feel great when I'm around you. I don't feel my best anymore. It's so hard. It's so there's two ways to go about this. What I think mostly happens is a friendship fade. It's not a total ghost. You're not like 
you know, you don't have to put up a wall because that's unkind, but it's just sort of, you, you sort of drift apart. And a lot of times, unless the friendship is a deep and important and meaningful one, but some of our more surface friends, like it just, it it comes in waves, people get it. Like it's sort of a friendship fade, but when it requires more than that, like when it requires a conversation, Brene Brown taught us that clear is kind. And I say this as someone who was broken up with in a very clear way. Like it was devastating. It was actually heartbreaking. And I feel like we don't talk about how heartbreaking friendship breakups can be because again, it goes back to the thing of like, oh, well, find a new friend, whatever. Friendship breakups can be truly devastating, but it was a gift to me in the big picture way that she was very clear about it over email. So I didn't spend months or years wondering. I didn't keep pursuing her you know, I didn't feel ghosted. There was a friendship fade, like seasoned. And then when I kind of like tried to revamp it, you know, I tried to like bring the friendship, you know, back to life. I didn't want us to fade. She was really clear in an email. And I do think clear is kind, but it is, it is hard to do it. It's hard to receive it. Yeah, I like that idea rather than, I, I think a lot of people are just like, well, let me just ghost, really and not respond. And I I think unresponsive can be so damaging because if there's ever someone who's just like not responding to me and I'm filling in the blanks and in all of those blanks, I'm the problem. And I did something wrong and then my mind spirals and it's like, okay. And then I go over every, you know, interaction and where did I go wrong? And it's like, it might not even be that. And so, yeah, if you're feeling like you've just outgrown a friendship or you're not in the same place or you want something else or something, yes, be clear. Well, I love that you have this like powerful, glamorous job and that you would think, you know, glamorous, like New York City publishing magazine, like that it would be kind of alcohol drenched, maybe. But that's not the case. That's not the reality. I have to say, like, I think a lot of people I work with are probably maybe similar. Um, When I first started, I started Vanity Fair and like people were drinking. I mean, it was like back in the like, you know, day, like writers would take us out and like there was drinking and alcohol and drugs. So like what year was that? That was like 2006, seven, like that kind of era. That was like still like the era of like Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, like- The golden age. (laughs) Yeah, like Jennifer Aniston and like Brad Pitt had just split up. It was like, oh God, take me back. I know. Um, So there was definitely like that thing. But I think now like most women, like, you know, I remember like I worked for the editor-in-chief of Glamour and like stuff. And like she went to all these Glamour's parties, but like you stop in, you do your thing and you leave. Like it's part of your job. And like part of your job is to like present a certain way. So like getting like really drunk and like things like that's not like part of it. Yeah. Even like when we had our holiday party and stuff like that, like it's not like that. And I I think we're all just like really, you know, busy and people, you know, a lot of people I work with, these are like, you wake up really early in the morning and you like hit the ground, you know, like I'm not too, just sadly, like it was not my genius idea to wake up before the kid, like, you know, a lot of my colleagues work up, wake up super early and, you know, are doing stuff. So I think it's the same, you know, thing. Um, and I think there is like kind of like that idea of like, it's going to be more glamorous or fun with like, I don't know. Um, no, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, like I'll order that glass of wine, but like, as I said, like my husband joked, like I'll have a couple sips and then it's like, yeah, you know. Yeah. You guys like the successful, powerful people like aren't drinking themselves to a stupor. Like JLo doesn't drink guys. Actually, a lot of celebs that are like really power, you know, like I've seen a lot of celebs on the other end, but like they usually had to rehab or like have like a set, you know, they, the ones who are like the JLo's, the ones who are crushing it, like the Jessica Alba's, like the Gwyneth's, like who are, you know, like they have, you know, like they'll all say like, I indulged in my, you know, like wine or whatever. And like Gwyneth will have her cleanse and stuff, but they, they all quit, you know, like they don't drink. My anxiety was rising. The more I was drinking, the more my anxiety was rising. I was drinking to subdue my anxiety, but honestly, it was, you've heard this before probably, but it's literally like pouring gasoline on a fire. 
have. Yeah, that's what Laura McCowan says, right? And yes. it's so true. And and we don't realize it because it does help at first. And so our brain it does. That 20 minutes is pretty awesome. Right. Our brain doesn't connect the, you know, the alcohol with the rise in anxiety the next day, the next two days. Even days later, your cortisol three days later is higher because of drinking. So even even when you're not drinking, that's right. Your anxiety is higher because of drinking. So that's that's huge. The science is everything. And uh, so yeah, I knew I needed to kind of get a grip. Okay, so then once you started learning the truth, and once the blinders came off, then you yeah. just saw alcohol in in a new light. You saw it for what it was. I did. So my year of 2017 was the kind of the the uh, the rebuilding year of getting getting myself back. You know, I just come out of that five year stint, that 40 to 45, that 13 to 18. I mean, that's just a real marked time. And I learned a lot about myself too during those struggles that I really was more resilient than I thought I was. Every time I outsourced my resilience to alcohol, it was undermining me. It was undermining my ability to do hard things. And I wanted to take that back and be able to remember, hello, I can do hard things. I think for me sometimes, and I I look back and I, I think in a weird way that um, part of my life, because I am so grateful and I'm so blessed today and I'm so confident in who I am. And, you know, I'm able to handle things the way I am and have this life because of what I went through. And I can't always like kind of, I'm very good at blocking it out, but I think sometimes I need to really embrace how much it shaped me. And I would not be on social media. I would not be putting myself out there. You know, I'd probably still, I mean, I still struggle with anxiety and depression, but I know how to, um, handle life now because I yeah. don't, you know, I have no choice but to. And so I really, I do, I do. I, I'm in a strange way. I'm thankful for that, for that, because I wouldn't be, I would be someone and I might be sober. I might not be, but I would not be who I was if I didn't experience what I had gone through. For my kids in particular, you know, there were sort of two stages to this, the conversation we'd been having for a long time about, you know, their grandparent and, and okay. you know, like I said, why Christmas blew up that year and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you would say, so why Christmas blew up? You would say, like, w what's something that you would so, say? So the year, well, so the year that Christmas blew up, um, my parent relapsed and my sister and I realized it right away. And um, my sister had flown in from somewhere else with her husband and her two kids. I luckily could drive home, um, but you know, it wasn't close. Mm, and yeah. we were like, okay, well, Christmas is going to look a little different than we planned. And my sister's yeah. going to have to go move into a hotel. And, um, you know, that just, it was horrible. It was a horrible Christmas. But if we had attributed that to anything else, we would have been squandering this incredible object lesson yeah. in what can happen. And P.S., not just what can happen, because we know scared straight doesn't work very well. So if we're right. using it just as a, oh, look, if this happens, it can make all kinds of bad things happen. Um, that doesn't tend to work very well, but does what does that just work. scares them and produces anxiety, right? Yeah. Scared straight. Yeah. We know that stuff doesn't work. Yeah, like the 90s. I'm a kid of the 90s. It's like, no, that doesn't work. Right. But what we do know um, is really helpful is it is my job as your mom to protect you from stuff that's going to be stressful or dangerous to you. And they, you know, it, this was where we also had a conversation about the fact that when they were littler that, yeah, sometimes I had to sort of check in, wait, is this grandparent drunk or is this grandparent sober and is it safe for me to leave you there? So that was when mm. I came out with like the full story of, you know, this has been going on for a long time and your grandparent is working, is trying really hard, but, you know, substance use disorder is really tricky and really scary and we're going to make sure that they get the help that they need. In the meantime, it's not safe this year emotionally or, you know, to be a part of Christmas with this person. So that's been a really important touchstone in our family history. Um, and I'm, you know, it's not a pleasant topic for the grandparent. That grandparent's sober now, by the way. But it is a really important 
part of our family. And it's a reminder to me that, you know, I've got kids now that are, you know, probably going to be having their own families in the next decade. And I don't want Christmas to ever blow up like that. And I would hope that they would protect their own children from me in the same way that I protected them from their grandparents. Honestly, you're going to reach your threshold. Everyone does. It doesn't have to be like a rock bottom. It doesn't have to be like dramatic. It doesn't have to be like this big catastrophe. But like, listen to how you feel, like honestly, how you feel. Like, is this bringing you one step closer? Is this moving the needle to the person, the woman that you really want to be tomorrow? Yeah. And that's hard to do, right? Because drinking and reaching for something that gives us like that fix, that immediate fix is really impulsive behavior Mm -hmm. at its core. And I get it. It's alcohol is like the easy button, right? We use it, like I said, for so many, it fits in so many needs and so many wants. Yeah. But if you can just try and create a little bit of space, like I'm talking 20 minutes, get like set a timer, give yourself like 20 minutes in between that, see how it feels, like come back and be like, okay, do I still really want this? Chances are in 20 minutes, it's going to be a little bit less. You know, the cravings are going to be a little bit less. You're going to be like, okay, like you're going to be thinking a little bit more ahead. Yeah. Just try and focus on giving yourself a little bit of space. That's all, that's all you need. Just space. It's scary to go first. I can't imagine how scary it is to say, okay, well, I'm going to show up as me, as fully me. I'm going to be the one to pave the way and be the trailblazer. That's fucking scary. It is. And I think that societal messages for women, or at least this is what I've gotten from society, is to not be too big, to not be too loud, don't be noisy. Not too high maintenance. Yeah, not too high maintenance, but be a good woman, a good mother. So what does that look like? That looks like, you know, the people I'm watching, right? I don't know what a good mom is. So I'm watching all the moms around me and I see who gets labeled good and then who gets labeled as bad. Yeah. So I'm not going to do anything those bad ones do, at least not in public. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. At least not in public, right? Yeah. Because there's no, there's just no way to live up to that. They're not even that. No. Right. right. But I'm going to do all the things that the good moms are doing in public. And I put air quotes around that for you who are listening. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's that. Just the watching and waiting and then doing as I saw, that's exhausting. Gray area drinkers will do this for years. They'll go back and forth. They'll stop. They'll say, I can't do this anymore. And they have the capacity. They don't need a medical detox. It might feel a little hungover, you know, that first morning, but they don't, they're not going to have a seizure or, you know, they're not far enough down that spectrum. But then what's really characteristic is weeks and months into it, they're like, I can be a social drinker. The whole forever question. This doesn't need to be forever. Very, very characteristic of gray area drinking. However, spoiler alert, I'm sorry to say, (laughs) working with hundreds and thousands of clients over the years, the cycle never changes. I lived through it. My clients lived through it. Once we've crossed that line of that back and forth, it's hard to ever completely go back. I've really never seen anyone go back. And then it's just that still small voice of that ricocheting between I need to quit and then, oh, just live a little, everything in moderation. And often people around gray area drinkers, so spouses, doctors, coworkers, good friends, they're like, you're just worrying too much. Like, you're not that bad. It's not like you're an alcoholic or anything. So those are, you know, very characteristic of that internal back and forth, the stopping, the restarting, and the ability to stop. So you don't want to get to a point where you just keep drinking so much that you can't stop. Like, you know, people will say, I function. I'm like, that's a good thing. Like getting to the point where you don't function, you don't want that to be the goal. And really at the beginning of stopping drinking, I just wanted to be able to moderate. I never thought I would ever call myself sober. Like Mm -hmm. that was not a word I would ever have thought I would use. I never thought I would live an alcohol-free lifestyle. That wasn't even on my radar. I just wanted to be able to have one glass of wine, 
put the wine away and have, you know, more than half of a bottle left the next day. That was my goal. Yeah. You know, so at the time when I was taking a little break, I was like, okay, I need to find some alcohol-free options. I have to find some good things to drink while I'm not drinking because for me, having a drink, I know for some people it can be a trigger to have a mocktail or have a non-alcoholic wine or, you know, alcohol-free beer or whatever. For me, it was the exact opposite. It really helped me stay on my path of trying at that point in the beginning, just trying to moderate. I wasn't drinking at the time, but I was like, okay, my goal is to moderate. Then I just loved it so much. I felt so much better and I found so many good things to drink. I was like, why would I go back? Why? Really? Okay. So that's so interesting. So you were not drinking, but your goal was eventually that you were going to moderate. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I hadn't had a rock bottom. It was like, I just need to figure out how to manage this. And I found it was so much more fun. Yeah. And which means you were really like in tune with yourself and listening to yourself and figuring out how you feel. Because rather than just like your eyes set on the prize counting down to quote unquote, when you can drink again, right? You were like, no, wait, how am I feeling? Like, what do I know now about my life without alcohol? Oh, I know that I'm still having fun. I feel so much better. I'm probably having more fun. More fun. And I can create these fun mocktails and I don't miss alcohol. Like, that's incredible. I equated it to being on a runaway train. Like, I felt like I was out of control, just like on the speeding train, and I could not stop it. I couldn't get off. And I really felt like I had just like flung myself off of this. And I landed like splat on the ground. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. But thank God I got off that train because. I was headed for something, you know, and I remember that was the best way to explain it to my husband um, because he, when I told him, he had no idea what I had been feeling. And at the end, I was in a really bad place. You know, it was November 2020 pandemic, and I had actually been hiding and sneaking and lying at the end of my drinking, which really, it, it escalated really quickly. And I, he had no idea I was doing that. So that's how I felt. This just like runaway train. Like, oh my God, I was just out of control. You know, I was just desperately trying to keep it all together. So I just got off it and I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess I'm not drinking and this is what we're doing. And I've voiced it out loud and here we go. And doesn't it just piss you off that, like, I just picture these, you know, the guys in the suits being like, make it pink and then they'll buy it. They think we're so fucking stupid. And it turns out we're tricked into being like, well, this is pink. Oh, it can't be that bad. It's pink. You guys, there's flowers on it. And by the way, there is, I have all the research, which we could talk forever about the information and studies that were done in the alcohol industry in terms of like they were hitting a ceiling with men. Yes. And by the way, it's like the tobacco industry, hook them young, but then we're killing off our own customers. So yes. they're like, okay, we have to expand market share. Let's go after women. Yeah, they didn't have a choice. And it's almost like in the day when light cigarettes, like Marlboro Lights, right? And we thought like, well, you know, I smoked Marlboro Lights in college because like, I'm not going to smoke Marlboro. That's too much nicotine and tobacco, but light. And there was a class action lawsuit against, you know, the thank you for smoking, all of that stuff and thinking that, oh, we've been tricked because we thought light cigarettes were better for us. Yeah, And it's the same fucking thing. It's like, well, we thought that the pink bottle of alcohol wasn't ethanol. It's not like Jack Daniels. It's pink. Oh, my God. There are bottles of wine literally named Mommy's Time. Oh, and mom water. Mom water. A year is like the first probably like major milestone that you hit in sobriety. And, And it's when... A lot of things can happen in a year, right? You've Mm -hmm. gone through all of the holidays. You've probably had a vacation. You've had a birthday. You've had a lot of those sober firsts that we always talk about. So what is your, let's start with your overview of when you look back, how do you feel about being one year sober? 
Well, let's see. I, the main sentiment that I would take away is just feeling incredibly proud. Mm. I feel so proud of how far I've come and the discovery and the work that I've put into it. When I first started out, I didn't know what the work was. Like, what's this work everyone's yeah. talking about? Yeah. What like, am is I there supposed a workbook or something? Yeah. Can you send me like some Cliff's Notes here? Yes. I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. And then once you start to peel back the layers and really start focusing on loving yourself and learning more about yourself and just being open to discovering this new chapter of your life, it just unlocks so much. At that moment, yeah. I decided I can either be really truthful to a therapist and seek the help that I need, or I can lie. And I decided that for the first time, I'm going to be very truthful. Wow. And so I told her how much we drink. And I talked to her about like how much I've always drank and that that's like how I have fun. And she said one line that I will tell you, and this isn't everybody's story and I get that, but she said one line that made me stop drinking for good. She said, that doesn't sound safe with young children in the house. Wow. When she said that, my heart just, it dropped because she said something that I have thought in my most internal thought many times, many, many times, countless times. I had, I had thought that like what I'm doing isn't safe. What if in the middle of the night, my kid has an emergency and I need to get to the ER? What if I'm not capable in the middle of the night when I drank until midnight and like blacked out, I'm not capable. And my husband pre COVID, he used to travel a lot. And believe me, when I was momming on my own, I was drinking. Yeah. Because I des because I deserved it, and so when she said those lines, I was like, "Okay." So the next morning, I woke up and I was like, "Solid, we're not drinking." And I had taken breaks before. I had really tried. A any person who struggles with alcohol, usually they have a couple of solid tries under their belt of like, "I'm going to give it up. I'm going to take a break for three months. I'm going to detox. I'm going to cleanse." And then I'm just going to moderate. Like then I'm going to try to control. Like. I'm going to have rules, mm -hmm. right? And then, and it's really hard to have rules around a highly addictive substance. Like it's, it's just, very it's hard. hard. And yeah. It actually takes a hell of a lot more energy. Oh, and willpower and it runs out. Like willpower runs out. Yes. You know what I mean? Like all the rules that we make, then we break. Mm -hmm. So I was never able to manage it. And, you know, at that moment, I don't like to be extreme and ultimate with anything. So I wasn't like it's gone for life. But I was like, this time, there is no expiration date to this. Like what she said hit me to my core so hard that I was like, it's time. The more confident you feel in yourself, the less you're going to feel like you need a drink on a date, the more vocal you might be in the bedroom. and. How, develop strong communication skills for when you are in a relationship. And the whole dating yourself thing is like, that never stops. You're right. It has to be like every day and not just when you're single, when you're in a relationship. Yeah. And when you're married. <laughs> when you're married, you need to spend like when you're married and newly sober or sober curious, you have to spend time alone. Like, and I don't just mean taking bubble baths and doing face masks. I'm talking like, really doing, quote, the work, yeah. like you said, <laughs> the work, and figuring out why are you so reliant on alcohol? And that's a huge question that I encourage people to explore with a therapist or a peer support group or a journal or, you know, whatever feels right for you. But once you stop drinking, you're left with you, <laughs> you know, and yes, and that can be really, really overwhelming. And so I would wait until you're ready to bring another person into that. Yes. Oh, my God. There's so much there because, yes, even, you know, I've been married for 10 years. And, yeah, taking out that alcohol really made me be like, oh, okay, why did I use this for sex for so long? And you can't really talk about sober sex without talking about 
sex with alcohol, right? And then it gets into the why are we drinking so that we can feel comfortable to have sex and what is consent and all of that stuff and the shame around that. I had a lot of shame around, you know, I just wasn't comfortable in my body. I wasn't comfortable you know, obviously there are these standards and growing up in the eighties, nineties, and then college in 2000, you know, like if I didn't meet those standards, well, I need to not feel like I'm in my body then. Like I, I need to escape. And then that's really, really dangerous. And I was in very dangerous situations, even in marriage. I mean, that stays with us or in relationships. And so the idea that then you're right, like just taking alcohol away, you're not going to suddenly be like, oh, okay, sober sex is great. It's like, no, yeah. you still have all of that stuff, right? Like you still have all yes. of that stuff. Like you said that you have to drill down and figure out what's going on and why you did turn to alcohol. I have heard from women throughout the years is I've heard this. I've read all the quitlets. I follow all of these pages. I listen to the podcast and it's not, I'm not doing this right. Mm. And it's because people are trying to take from me, from you, from mm-hmm. AA, from this, from that, from this, and then trying to apply what they like their stories to them. When what people have to understand about the sobriety and recovery process, you have to tailor it to you. You know, you talk about decision fatigue. I mean, Alcohol is such a great way to delay those decisions. You know, it it masks as serving our needs in so many ways. And, you know, I think about the pandemic and I think about the alcohol advertising in general, that it really oftentimes feels like the only people or the only thing out there that has any empathy for mothers. Um, And, you know, it's, it masks as as empathy. Really, Mm -hmm. they just want access to our wallets, right? They disguise it as we know you're overburdened. We know you're struggling. We can help. Yes. Oh God. And how like that, how creepy is that? Mm -hmm. The wolf in sheep's clothing. It totally is. Mm -hmm. It totally is. And that's why there's no shame if you fell victim, right? There's just no shame. And, And the good part is, is that you can see clearly now. You can start to learn the truth. It was very hard for about, I would say, between month three to six. There was a lot of processing and challenging emotions. And once I got past kind of like that hump at like the six-month mark, I had like developed enough new coping skills that it wasn't like everything was the end of the world. And I I was, I was feeling like I really want a glass of wine. Like it's not even part of my thought process now, but because it's just like one of those patterns, like you get up and you make the same cup of coffee every morning. It's a hard pattern to break. And so doing it for enough days in a row, you know, then you create new neurological pathways in your brain. And it's like, it's this concrete thing that's changing. Yes. But it takes a while to really understand that. And then experience the benefits of that. Yeah, I think that's so true. And like how awesome is it that we can change still? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I stopped drinking at 39. I'm like, I swear to God, I say this maybe every episode, but like going into your 40s, turning 40 sober is like the best. Well, and I think whatever your reason is, I think yeah. maybe a way to do it because I think a lot of people judge themselves if they're they feel like they should stop drinking. So if you can think of it in a way with your partner, even if you're posing it this way, like, hey, what fun vacation do we want to do? What have we been wanting to do that we don't have the budget for? Okay, we want to go to Cancun. Let's research this. Two of us, we need five thousand dollars to go to Cancun. So let's look at like just our last three months of what we spent. Okay, we have spent let's even say it's $300 and it's probably a lot more than that a month on drinks. Let's give ourselves three months and put that money towards this vacation and take the vacation. And then if we want to start drinking again, we start drinking again. That's great. We drink on the vacation. But I think when you give yourself that excuse and like a good, like a reason that doesn't feel like you're judging yourself, yeah, then it gives you time to experience the benefits 
And then you can have a more clear mind and be like, yeah, you know what? I didn't have a problem, but I also really like this other kind of lifestyle. And we did save a ton of money. Now we can go to Cancun every year. The further away I get from it, the more I realize that it never delivered. Like it never made me feel good. Think about the next day. Physically, you're not feeling 100%. Mentally, you're questioning like so much, maybe even unnecessarily and everything was fine. But like, yes, it was never making me feel good. Like, again, maybe the first 20 minutes or whatever. But it's just like thinking about that next morning. I'm like, it never really did me any favors. Like it was never especially getting out and socializing now. And like, yeah, it just it did not add anything. So I I love it when we talk about how it's not an additive because it's so true. And it just takes some time removing it to see all of that. Like it was not that great of a time once, especially that next day feeling like you're just, you're not operating on all cylinders and yeah, there's just nothing like, oh, I'm so glad I had that last glass or whatever. Right. Never. And yeah, you said it doesn't matter. I think that this is important. It doesn't matter if it's one glass or one bottle, right? Mm -hmm. The feeling of shame and regret and how could I, oh my God, I promised myself or just unease and dread and anxiety and fitfulness and all of that stuff is the same. (laughs) I mean, the result's the same. It doesn't matter. And then your nervous system is all fucked up. So it doesn't matter if everything was fine, quote unquote, if you didn't make a fool of yourself. If you didn't do something horribly wrong or something that you wouldn't necessarily do, your brain is still going to fuck with you and and say, are you sure? Right. Are you sure you didn't? Like that little devil on the shoulder. Yeah. So much of the alcohol is like, it's abandoning yourself, right? Because you need something in the moment that you can't necessarily ask for or get. And so you abandon your future self or your little self, you know? So if I, like I said, if I go to a party and I'm not having fun, if I drink to make it more fun, I'm abandoning myself. Totally. I should just leave the party. If I don't enjoy somebody who's drunk or drinking, I shouldn't try to fit them. And I'm a freaking recovering people pleaser to no end. So like, I'm not going to make it okay for me to be with you. I'm just going to (laughs) go. Like, you know, it's so true. Yeah. And you really are choosing their comfort, how they feel, what they need, what they want. Or what society asks. Like if you're quiet and you don't want to go, you're more of an introvert. You drink for social lubrication. Maybe you don't need to be lubricated. (laughs) Right. And really what it does is it just makes you not care. Right. It makes you not care. Sure. It makes you not care about, you know, whether the party is shoes on or shoes off. (laughs) And it makes you not care about that. But it also makes you not care about everything. Yeah. It it just is a blanket like, oh, okay, like, thank God I don't care. But you just don't care about anything. Yeah. You don't also care about your karaoke singing or your dancing. Totally. (laughs) Who you made out with in the closet. (laughs) Right. Or the fact that you have to drive or the fact that your kids are in the car like, or the fact that you're married or the fact that you work with these people. It just makes you not care. You know, I was also this chameleon. So I would be whoever it was you wanted me to be or needed me to be. So you would like me, you know, Mm. and so I started losing pieces of like, my soul and my identity and my, all of that stuff. Every time I, you know, shrunk to fit into these spaces or changed my perspective in order to fit in with a group. And so slowly over time, that kind of chips away, you know? So after 15 years of drinking, I found myself a total shell of a person because I didn't know who I was at that point. I'd adapted to so many situations and people and I didn't know who I was. And drinking just continued to mask that. So for me, you know, I came, you come to, for me, I came to a fork and it's like after every drink, after every wake up, you know, the next morning, it was either continued down that path. Cause I woke up with shame all the time. I was a blackout drinker, no idea. And it was funny in college. I thought it was funny and it's not being funny as I got older. Mm-hmm. And like, I have two choices. I can ask for help or I can bury the shame with more drink, with more alcohol with more drugs. And I, so I, for a very long time, I kept choosing that road of I'm going to keep going down the path because it's, 
I can't face this right now. And I'm not, I don't know what am I, what am I going to do if I, what do you do if you don't drink? Right. I think shame is one of the hardest feelings to feel. I mean, it's like, it can be corrosive and to allow yourself to feel the shame of what happened when you were drinking, of not remembering, because I I was a blackout drinker too in college. And we're like, that's too hard. That's too painful. I can't talk about this. I can't talk about my drinking yet. It's just that shame. It feels like it's going to capsize you. You know, there were some worries in the beginning of, will our date nights be fun? Will he want to travel with me? And I just voiced those to him. And he was like, that's a youth thing. I don't care if you're drinking or not. And I couldn't believe how much emphasis and how much credit I gave the alcohol Oof. on me being fun, even with him. Yes, We went to stagecoach. We've been to concerts. We've done so much together and he doesn't care if I'm not drinking at all. He still thinks I'm so fun. <laughs> yes. And isn't that amazing? I love that you said that you gave alcohol the credit. And that's so true. Like, I know I did too. Like, I was like, oh, the reason I'm fun or the reason I want to connect or the reason I, people want to hang out with me is when I drink. And it's like, oh man, we're just giving alcohol all the credit for like our magic. Yeah. And when really what it does is it steals it. It takes it away. I feel more social. I'm somebody who really hates big gatherings and Oh, those things. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like without alcohol, I'm more social because I can think of the next question quickly. I'm on my toes. I remember their name. I remember their kids' names. Yes. I can follow up. Whereas I used to avoid people because I would think, oh, I know I talked to her at the last party, but I don't remember what her name is. Yes. I don't remember what we talked about. Yes. yes. Oh my God. That's so true. <laughs> like if you are the one who changes your nervous system, you embody more joy, you embody more empowerment, you just change the way that you react to the world and really come home to like yourself and your desires. That is the change for every single generation after you. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was Gandhi who said it, like, how do we change the world? It's like one person at a time. Like, that's what it really does look like. And so I think prioritizing your joy and your healing are literally the most important things you could ever do in your life. And they're not selfish. They are the most selfless thing you could ever do. Yes. And showing showing your kids, you know, like by you promoting anything that helps to heal you, right? Whatever that is. And sharing that with your kids, like, no, now is the time that I need this. Now is the time that I'm going to do this. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm going to step away. I'm going to take time. I'm going to take a walk, whatever that looks like in your house, right? That is how we do that. So it's not this like big thing, like it's these little daily acts. And and our kids, man, they soak it all up. And they they will do what we do and not what we say. Like they are watching and they are learning. And I see it every single day with my little ones. This is not going any. This movement is not leaving. Yeah. Like if you are on the sobriety journey right now, you are on the forefront of this huge movement because yeah. we are going to continue to see massive growth in the non-alcoholic beverage space, Mm -hmm. in the sobriety space, in people utilizing this as part of their their health journey. Because for so long, we have just been pretending, (laughs) for lack of a better word, that this isn't as big of a problem in our society as it is. And we're on the precipice of a huge change and a huge transformation. And I am just so, so, so grateful that I get to be a teensy part of the conversation about it. It's so exciting. You don't have to change the world. You are changing your world. You are changing your world in your home simply by choosing a life without alcohol. Like it is revolutionary for your world and your kids' world. And I mean, if that's not good enough, like what is? Yes. And I was just thinking too, it's it's attractive to our circle of influence, right? So if mm-hmm. we are being vulnerable, being real, being sober, being able to talk about it, it's a way to attract 
other people to recognize how good this is. If we are, you know, lighting the world on fire and it's not relatable often. Right. 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 And so what we want to do is we want to relate and we want to be part of a, a movement, which I think we are. Yeah, I think so too. Feels good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.